On this episode, we are continuing our conversation with Indiana University's athletic director, Fred Glass, who's taking us on his journey of healing a hurting organizational culture. Let's get to the podcast. Welcome to another episode of the ROI podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella, alongside Associate Dean Phil Powell, where our mission on the show is to help organizations make better business decisions. And if this is your first time listening, we just want to say welcome to the Kelly family. And for everyone that's been rating our show, sharing us on social media, telling your friends and family uh, about our content, we're just so honored that you have found our content valuable and that you're sharing it with other leaders around you. For those of you who are wrestling with a question, maybe uh, you know of a great guest or you want to give us some feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Shoot us an email to ROIPod, that's R-O-I-P-O-D at I-U-P-U-I dot E-D-U. So last week, we started a conversation with IU's athletic director, Fred Glass, who shared his unique journey on how he went from a lawyer to university sports. He also talked about the broken culture he was walking into and how he needed to heal that organization first before he could start implementing some changes he wanted to make. If you missed last week's episode, I highly recommend you go back and listen because today we are continuing where we're going to explore how Fred determines the right fit for his team, both in athletics and on his staff. You know, Matt, remembering the insights from our last episode, Fred mentioned the five priorities, the five expectations for every student athlete and staff member on his team, including the coaches. The values are the foundation for everything from assimilating new talent to how each student athlete should leave the program. And these five foundations were, we play by the rules, we are well in mind, body, and spirit. We achieve academically. We excel athletically. And we want to be integrated with the university and be part of something bigger than ourselves. And it all starts with making sure you have the right people on the team. So how does Fred find the right administrative talent and coaches? One of our maxims is um, you attract who you are. And I think that's part of the reason why it's really important to spend some time thinking about who are we, that is, what are our values, talk about them all the time, self-talk and all that, uh, how you portray yourself, you know, that old uh, Chinese uh, saying about, you know, uh, be careful of your thoughts, they become your words, be careful of your words, you know, they become your image, be careful of your image, it becomes your destiny or whatever whatever it is, but th- those things uh, matter. And how we present ourselves um, sets forth who's going to want to uh, join us. And I tell our kids this all the time. If somebody's on a recruiting visit and you go out and party and all that and, you know, sports are second and having fun is f- first, the, the, you're going to get kids that, that want to do that. Well, that's not really what we're about. I mean, it's really not at all what we're about. So we need to be careful how we portray ourselves, what we say about ourselves, more importantly, how we act, because that creates our destiny of who's going to want to be part of us. The other thing is that one of our maxims, I guess, is um, you are what you tolerate. And I think sometimes organizations can seduce themselves into thinking, well, we're not really bad guys, but we got this bad guy on our team. 
and we're not going to get rid of him because man, he's super productive. Have you seen his billings? Have you seen his sales? You know, we're not, we, you know, we're, or have you seen his wins in my world? Um, and and you and and you can't kid yourself that if you tolerate that, then you are that. And and we talk about that all the time in personnel decisions big and small. Uh, this was really brought home to me when I was on the management committee at my law firm in Indianapolis, and we had this partner who was super productive, kept a lot of people busy, generated a lot of money, but he was a jerk. He treated the staff badly. He treated his colleagues badly. And we kind of wrung our hands and finally said, we're going to get rid of him. And in a legal partnership, that's hard. And we did. And our only regret was we hadn't done it sooner. It was oh. a classic <laughs> example of addition by subtraction. And I remember that a lot. And unfortunately, I have a situation of taking coaches who were very successful here, but because of other behaviors they had, I wasn't willing to, to, for their uh, issues to be our issues. I, I didn't want to become who they were, and we, we you know, went, our, went our separate ways. Here, Matt, I want to echo a huge takeaway that Fred gives us. Yes, it's important to understand you attract who you are. But even more eye-opening, even more important is the following quote from Fred. You are what you tolerate. When I heard that in the interview, it gave me personal pause. And there's a lot of truth to it. In many ways, in terms of the way the world sees you, you are to other people whatever the lowest common denominator is in your life. Because others are going to see your shortcomings, the issues you don't engage as you try to build an organization. And they're going to latch onto that and judge you by that. Even though in your own head, you may be judging yourself by what you've done to get you to the top of the mountain. And so really what Fred tells us is, don't be thinking about what has gotten to the top of the mountain. Think about what is holding other people back from getting to the top of their own mountain in terms of what you tolerate around you. Powerful, powerful insight. You know, this also brings clarity. Because as Fred says, you, you can't forget to whom you're accountable. So so like when I was in when when I was in government, um, we always tried to focus on the fact that we were accountable to the taxpayers and the broader citizenry. We weren't accountable to the General Assembly. We weren't accountable to the architects and engineers that got their deals from the, um, uh, you know, NDOT or wherever. We weren't accountable to the party apparatus. We weren't accountable to the the interest groups. We were ultimately accountable to the taxpayers and the general citizenry. And that sounds super basic and kind of duh, but 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 if you've been in these agencies, it's surprise. It was surprising to me how much I perceived, like initially I oversaw the Department of Transportation, and I swear most of the people in the Department of Transportation thought their customers were these architects and engineers and contractors. And I get it because they, you know, did stuff and all that, but but it's a different mindset to think, no, it's the motoring public. It's not ABC contracting firm. Um, and so uh, for me in this job, you know, every, every person you fire, they got a picture on their desk with mom and dad and their dog and 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 all that and that's good and employees are, are critical but 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 my responsibility is the people out out there the um, citizens of the state of Indiana our alumni and ultimately the board and the president and so you've got to get beyond thinking that you know my job is to um, is to preserve their job that was another crazy thing for me kind of a mind um, shift there's sort of this this thing in intercollegiate athletics, this cultural thing, 
transcending institutions, I think, where, where career people feel like the leadership's got a, got a responsibility to help you get your next job. Super transitory. People are moving around all the time. And that drove me crazy. It's like, I have no interest in preparing you for your next job. I, you know, if you do your job here super well, you'll probably be a candidate for other jobs. And I don't begrudge you that, and I'll help you get one. But but I'm not I'm not here to, to round out your portfolio so you're more attractive to go somewhere else. And that was that was a little bit of a weird mind shift for me. And I tell our people all the time, your best professional development um, plan is to do the job you have really really great, and then you'll be you'll be found. So once Fred has established this quote-unquote line for his administrative team and coaching staff to not cross, he then can turn his focus on recruiting student-athletes. I think actually your listeners may be surprised to know how much the coaches do know about these kids. You know, they they understand that, you know, what they say, it's a lot more about the Johnnies and Joes than the X's and O's. So if they're going to be successful, they need to get you know, good kids. And that's not only, you know, talented athletes, but, but high character uh, kids. And man, they, they really put them through the ringer. I've got, you know, I was talking to our softball, this previous softball coach, she said she goes to games and she watches how the kids play, but then she watches how they interact with their teammates. And um, um, she told me that if her dad carries her bat bag to the car, she quits recruiting her because she just doesn't think she's humble enough, you know, and she's being, she's being, um, you know, um, uh, coddled, you know, and I've got a our our baseball coach said, you know, I ask kids what are their what are their ambitions, you know, for for college baseball, and if they don't say that they want to go to the major leagues, he quits recruiting them. So um, th- these guys do a deep dive in who these these kids are, what their character is, how they interact with their families, how they interact with their teammates, because they're taking a big. These scholarships are very, you know, precious. And the reality is they've only got so much time to establish their program and have their program go where it, where it, where it goes. So there's, there's both the altruistic factor of wanting to attract good kids, but the self-interested factor of you. I had a friend of mine say, well, Jeff Smolian at, at Emmis always says you can't do good business with bad people. And I just don't think you can win with bad kids. So uh, maybe in the short run, maybe a little bit, but not in a sustained way. So again, not because we're so great and we want to polish our halo, but because it's in our self-interest to attract good kids to this program. Fred leaves us another powerful insight here. Skill and ability alone will not get an athlete onto a Hoosier athletic team. Ability and skill must be backed up by strong personal character. That's what Fred insists upon. There's a translational lesson here for business. As leaders, the candidate that we want to hire, again, is not about ability and skill. We want a candidate that matches the values that we're trying to build within our organization that's ultimately going to lead to our success and fulfilling our strategy. So we have to look through candidates through these lens. And we have to see in everything they do, is there alignment with our values? What are, what's the candidate saying on social media? What are some creative ways we can discover who they are and what makes that person tick? Because again, we are what we tolerate. And when somebody comes into an interview, that's going to be hard to probe and find out. Therefore, you have to put a lot of investment in the vetting process of your individuals just like Fred demands from his coaches a very broad vetting process for the athletes that come to Indiana University 
And that's what differentiates his leadership as an athletic director nationally. And it was what has gained him such great acclaim in the NCAA. You know, the challenge for Fred lies in the fact that every year a new class of athlete enters the programs. You're always recruiting new high school graduates and having to onboard them into this culture that demands a very high level of personal character. So the interesting question is, how does Fred do this every year when he's onboarding new students? First of all, I think you were alluding to the fact of how challenging it is when you're almost starting over all the time. You've got this steady stream of, of kids. But I'm here to tell you that's the best part because it's sort of like this evergreen thing. You know, because they're always 18, 19, and 20, I feel like I'm not getting older either, which, of course, isn't the case. But in most situations, you're, you're, you're um, um, sort of personnel are growing old with you. But these guys aren't because they're constantly rotating through. And so I find it super invigorating to always be around these young people. And, and, and these people generally aren't very jaded and they're very open to learning. And to me, that's the, that's the best part. You know, when I, when I meet with the kids or work with their student groups or go to practice or ride the bus with them or ride the plane with them or have dinner with them on the road, the coolest part of this job and where I get, where I get um, invigorated is, is interacting with these kids. But they're always, they're always 18, even though the ones that were 18 when I started are 29 now. It's a cool part of it. Um, I'm not sure I've got enough of a window to really see difference in 10 years. I know coaches that have broader windows than, than me will say um, that they feel there's, there's, there's more entitlement. Um, there's, there's more uh, expectation um, of um, you know, knowing why. Um, there's there's um, uh, a feeling of well just fix me you know it, it's the it's the YouTube you know we, we throw this around all this all this stuff but it's a little bit the YouTube generation it's like um, the the, the um, golf coach was telling me the other day that that this kid said you know I I need to hit the ball straighter and uh, and uh, he said well you know you need to hit 500 balls a morning and you know and blah, blah. he goes no 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 I don't want to do that just can you show me like a video or something can you you know teach me it's like don't look at direct it's like you don't read a map you know it's just like turn here turn here turn here turn here you're there and and I think there's a little bit of that paint by numbers with this with this generation if you will that's like you, you don't get there by the hard work the the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 repetitions um, you look at a YouTube video of do it yourself and all of a sudden Sudden, you can hit that free throw or make that putt or whatever it is. Or get an MBA and you're CEO. <laughs> yeah, right. So with new classes coming to IU every single year, what does Fred's assimilation process look like for these incoming student athletes? We have a six-week uh, course um, that we teach internally that's mandatory for all incoming students, freshmen or transfers, where we spend a week on each one of the uh, priorities and explain to them what those what those really mean, um, um, including a uh, discussion of our overall spirit of Indiana 24 Sports 1 team, which is those five priorities and a little more. So, for example, one of the things we hold ourselves up to is an appreciation of Indiana University. And we um, address that in both meetings of appreciation, right? So the gratitude 
of being here and what it means and why you should be appreciative of that, but an understanding too. They need to know who Herman B. Wells was. They need to know what the Kinsey Institute means in terms of academic uh, freedom. They need to know that Bill Garrett broke uh, the color barrier. There's just certain components that they need to understand what, why I believe Indiana University is special. So, so we're very mindful of that. Again, I'm not going to tell you every one of these kids comes out, you know, ready to be uh, uh, in the Chamber of Commerce for IU or anything like that, but. But, but they understand that it's important. So even when, as a leader, you do everything right to create a healthy culture, what happens when you have an individual that's just not the right fit for your team? You don't have to go back and think, well, is he really stepping over the line? You set what all the lines are, you know, in order. And, and, and it really is that. My tolerance um, is lowest at the high end of the, of the values and go down. We follow the rules. Now, we're going to make mistakes. I get that. But if you lie to me, or cover up, you're you're done, you know. And there's a lot of, you know, uh, skulls on the stakes at the village uh, boundary that the other coaches know. If you lie to him, even over something dumb, you're you're going to get fired, you know. Health and wellness, be well in mind, body, and spirit. If if you step over the line and try to tell the docs what to do, or 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 or, or you're, uh, uh, you know. Uh, um, um, abusive verbally or physically to a kid, there's a there's a very short tolerance level for that. You're you're gone, you know. And and we're the athletic department, and I make no bones about it that I want to be excellent athletically. But it's only the fourth priority in, in in the row now. There's people that meet all the top three, and if they're not winning over a long period of time, and the kids aren't having a good experience, then that can be the basis for your out too. I think the main thing is. The first time an employee hears that they're making a cardinal sin can't be when you fire them. I just don't think that's right. So, and I don't think I could sleep at night. Now, if I've had them where they just, if they're lying or stealing, you know, they don't deserve a warning shot. But, but on the on the on the on others that are maybe a little more um, amorphous, you got to sit down and say, look, here's the line, you know, and and if you step over that line again, then you're done. Um, I think you'd need to do that, and we have done that. And so a, 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 a transgression that taken alone might not merit the death penalty. If it's after the line's been clearly drawn and they still step over the line, then then I think at least as a leader I can feel comfortable that I gave the opportunity and I made the right decision. You know, Matt, interviewing Fred was absolutely inspirational. He's been in his job 11 years. And he was an individual who was never an athletics coach or, or worked in, in, in college sports. And it was his value system and his working with his team to really build a new esprit de corps in the IU athletics department that has generated his success. If there's any example of values winning over the day compared to skill and ability, uh, Fred's career embodies it because he didn't have any experience as a, as a coach. But he quickly learned and a high level of emotional intelligence and a strong commitment to very clear values has built one of the best organizations in, in college athletics in terms of compliance with NCAA rules, graduation rates, and just a sense that the athletes are joining something bigger than themselves. (laughs) 
This has been another episode of the ROI Podcast presented by the Indiana University Kelly School of Business. I'm your host, Matt Martella, alongside Associate Dean Phil Powell, where we work hard to help organizations make better business decisions. We will see you next week.